guys here, Sean? You want to know what time the 7 o'clock meeting starts? 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock. So thank you, Sean. They're a bit unruly, but luckily we open with a prayer, and Chaplain Lee is in the house. He'll call them to order. Come on and stand to your feet all over this room. Welcome, welcome, welcome. But most of all, God, we welcome you. We thank you on this day. We give you the praise, glory, and honor for who you are. We glorify your name. There is none like you. You are a healer, a deliverer, a way maker. You are the one we turn to in times of trouble. We thank you now because if without you, we are nothing. We invite you into this room just to have your way. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Speak to your manservant and he delivers the word into this atmosphere so that people will hear what the Spirit says to the church. We thank you and we give you all the praise in advance for what you're about to do. In the mighty name of Jesus, let us all pray and say amen. Thank you, Chaplain Lee. You guys, if you have an interest in knowing more about uh, certain faith matters, Chaplain Lee does a Saturday service called the Recovery Church and he knows how to talk to people that are in their recovery journey and in their reentry journey. He's been doing it for a long time. So if you ever want to check him out in public, you're welcome here to come do that, families of members. Um, so welcome to PON, welcome to New Freedom. Uh, if you would, I need everyone in the room to welcome the people. We have uh, 30,000 men and women have access to this on ADCRR, if you could say hello to them. And there's about 7,500 in the Maricopa County Jail System that will also have access to this, if you could say hello to them. So thank you, you folks that are listening in to us, uh, that all their welcomes are letting you know that we've got a place for you here. Huh? So um, anyone here for the first time tonight? A few of you? Very good. So first of all, welcome. And second, let us warn you in advance, you're liable to experience us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. The primary reason that's liable to happen is that we intend for you to have a different experience here. What we do here, we've been doing for a lot of years, we take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of this book, and we use this book in 12-step recovery, why? Yeah, the process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances. So what I attempt to do here every week is show you how I find my experience in the book and encourage you to have your experience with the book. And if we both do our job, we'll share a spiritual experience in this room tonight. How many of you have been here before and can witness for these folks that happens? Yeah. Oh, good. Very good. So those of you online can't see because of the anonymous natures of our fellowships, but um, they raised their hand to signify to the people around them and to anybody that's listening in when we speak of a spiritual experience in 12-step recovery, we're talking about a sensory experience. You will feel it. And when you do, I'll know, and I'll call it to your attention, because we would cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God without... Very good. You guys are on it tonight. Without giving you a demonstration. Fair enough? And tonight we're going to launch into step three. So let's kind of just get rolling. How many of you have been to an AA meeting before? All right, very good, that's a good start. So in most AA meetings I've ever attended, they read this first part of step three instruction, and basically it's the wrap up of steps one and two leading us to a third step decision. So let's go through it intentionally and see if we can align our experience with it. It's in a little chapter called How It Works, and they start out with a promise and condition. Let's see if you can identify the promise and the condition. It says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Anyone hear a promise there? 
What was it? Rarely have we seen a person fail. Now, why does that matter? Because the book is the first 100's testimony about the first several thousand who recovered. Does that make sense? So they have some credibility. They said, rarely have we seen a person fail, and what's the condition? There's this 100 people telling the story of thousands, but they didn't say paths, did they? Path. Said so those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. Usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. So we might want to ask ourselves, what are they speaking of that we're constitutionally incapable of being honest about if we feel like we're struggling? Have you ever wondered that? Shall we look? Because at this point, they've only talked to us about a couple things. They've talked to us about, well, let's go look. Let's go back to the doctor's opinion. And I think it's XX, yeah, XXVIII, Roman numeral 28. Sound okay? At the bottom of that page, the doctor offers the opinion that men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. Yes. <laughs> Those of you that are not particularly fond of alcohol, but maybe you've had other substance disorders, substitute whatever you would in there. Do I have any opiate addicts in here? <laughs> so they go on to tell us a little more about this condition, the sensation is so elusive that while they admit it injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. How many of you have been clean, sober for some period of time? How many of you, if you give yourself permission, can still feel, bring to consciousness that sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by, any, where's my opiate? I know you can. I'm feeling some of you do it. So we're looking at that sensation is still out there for us even though we're not imbibing, yes? It says that to them their alcoholic life seems the only, no, only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks. So we know you can experience that, how many of you have found yourself restless, irritable, and discontented over a period of time? So if we own that, so I'm going to always be on the quest for ease and comfort if I don't find something to quench my restlessness, irritability, and discontent. Can I be honest about that? All right, if we can be honest about that, then let's go to page 50. The bottom of that page here are thousands of men and women, worldly indeed. They're talking about the first several thousand and the first 100's experience with them, yes? Yeah. Worldly isn't a bad thing or a good thing, it's just these were educated people, they were doctors, lawyers, business leaders, what have you. Make sense? Yeah. It says, they flatly declare that since they've come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude toward that power and to do certain simple things, there's been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. In the face of the collapse and despair, in the face of the total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. You catch that they're talking to you about a sensory experience. So they're not asking us in 12-step recovery to sit around abstinent folks. The reason we had a second step encounter with power is as an addict of the hopeless variety, I have to discipline my mind to seek my ease and comfort from within instead of from the world. Does that resonate with anybody? Half of these people were atheists or agnostics in the beginning, but every one of them has gained access to and believes in a power operating in and through them. So when we come to believe in power, we come to believe in power, peace, happiness, and a sense of direction flowing from within. 
I'm feeling some of you. Some of you getting a little hope from that? Because that white knuckle sitting around abstinent isn't a good condition for many of us. All right, so if we can be honest about those two things, then it says, they're not, we've got to talk about the unfortunates, capable of being honest with themselves. There are such unfortunates. They're not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. They're naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. So for those of you who didn't get what I was saying, didn't feel what I was talking about, what I was calling your attention to, give yourself enough time to sit down with somebody who can introduce you to this power. If you haven't had your encounter, you may not know. Does that make sense? And the other thing is it's a grasping and developing a manner of living. There's going to be a certain amount of walking it out. I don't know if anyone's ever told you, but my entire time in addiction, maybe yours, was me trying to think my way into better acting. Any of you? The author suggests that's not a workable solution for people that have this condition. We have to act our way into better thinking. So what I'm saying is if you'll start serving, you'll start doing the things these people suggest to us, get armed with the facts about yourself, start to question the way you think, and walk it out, you will start thinking differently in time. That's what they witnessed too. That's also my story. Does that make sense for some of you? Okay. So then it says, says there are those two who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. So the capacity to be honest with myself is more important than the depths of my disease, according to their experience. How many of you have met those people with grave emotional and mental disorders in our fellowships? Good. So some of you have already recognized that it's you, right? Because we're always looking outside, but any of you have been around this thing a minute? Some of you have. I've known Sean, Jim, a lot of people have been around here a minute. Um, when I got here, I, didn't, I thought the grave emotional and mental people were out there. But when I look at what I was restored from, I was one with grave emotional and mental disorders. Does that make sense? So it says, our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened, what we're like now. See how that sounds like testimony? We got to get that straight, guys, what I was like. I was selfish, dishonest, full of guilt, shame, and remorse. And my perspective about every experience I had in life was limited in how it affected me. Therefore, I suffered a great deal, and I caused suffering. And then I encountered this power and adopted this manner of living, and I'm not that today. I'll let you judge for yourselves what I am. I walk around amongst you every day, and I am a very imperfect person serving a very perfect power. So if you've decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. So that's an important qualification. I'd have to know what it is they had, wouldn't I? Because no one that they're talking about is alive today. So I'm going to have to go see what it is they had in order to consciously decide whether I'm willing to go to any lengths or even certain lengths to get it. So you want to take a look at that? Fair enough. Let's go to 25. So in the middle of page 25, they tell us what they have. The great fact is just this and nothing less, that we've had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and toward God's universe. That was really good. God's universe. So those of you that are new, when we say God, you say because we don't want anyone tripping over theologies here. We're talking about tangible, sensory restoration, power from within you. And if you can, if you can feel what I'm saying to you, then you know enough about this to get started. Okay. All right, so it says the central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could never do by ourselves. How many of you found you were capable of doing things 
when you started to awaken a bit that you thought impossible in the beginning? How many of you were forced to do some things that on the journey you started you thought were impossible, but as you were empowered to walk through it, you learned you were capable of more than you thought? So they talk about the difference between absolute certainty and hope. I hear a lot of people talk about hope in recovery, but for an addict of the hopeless variety, you better cling to certainty. Hope can fade. Absolute certainty seems to amplify. Tell me in your active addiction, what were you absolutely certain of? If I could get to the trap house, I could feel different. I could change my ideas and attitudes if I could just get there regardless of circumstance. Anyone relate to what I'm saying? So if I don't have at least that kind of certainty, I'm unlikely to continue over a long period of time. Yes? Okay. So I'm back over to where we had left off. If you've decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. So for those of you who are interested in certainty, if you're interested in encountering this power and growing in knowledge of this power in and on your life, then you're ready to take certain steps. Does that make sense? All right. And then they tell us something about those certain steps right away. At some of these, we balk. How many of you looked at the steps on the wall and go? <laughs> so that's not an abnormal reaction. And so what I'm supposed to tell you as someone who's in the manner of living and has been for some period of time, I once thought and felt as you do. But I doubt I'd made much progress had I not taken action. This is the action I took. This is what I experienced as a result. Some of you felt that. Who felt that? So it says, with all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. Remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it's too much for us. But there is one who has all power. That one is? That one is God. If this power, God, has all the power, how much does that leave for me? How much does that leave for you? Does it make sense why I would want to form a relationship with said power, given that my admission of powerlessness was not a theory of mine? It was a fact from my experience. Yes. They say, may you find him now. Last chapter, they told us how we find this power. Sometimes we have to search fearlessly. And where do we look? Deep down inside. Does that make sense? So then it says, half measured availed us nothing. How many of you have employed half measures? and thought, eh, I got about half. <laughs> How many of you have employed half measures and then found yourself really miserable and had to dig in deep? So all we're imploring you to do, all they're imploring you to do is don't start out half, go all in. Go all in, get the freedom that's promised. Yes? So it says, we stood at the turning point we ask his protection and care with complete abandon. Think about that. Half of them were atheists or agnostics. They had to have had some kind of transformational encounter in order to, by this stage of their development, ask for his protection and care with complete abandon. Yes? It says, here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. Guys, we spend a lot of time helping people understand there's a difference between program and fellowship, and we don't do it to be obnoxious, 
We do it because we know people come into our rooms and they think sitting in our rooms is the program and people say, I'm in the program. And what they mean is they show up at a meeting every once in a while. But if you'll read what they said, here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. They did not say, here are the meetings we attended which are suggested. Am I making any sense? So we want to be clear to people, not obnoxious, that if you want the freedom promised by the authors of AA's book that has helped millions of people liberate themselves from themselves, here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. And then by all means go to our fellowships, you will find you're a better fellow having entered the manner of living. Okay. So they go through the steps, which I don't think I'm going to do. I'm going to jump over to page 60, and I'm going to show you the reaction of those people once they were shown what the manner of living required of them. Many of us exclaimed, what an order. I can't go through with it. So we expect you, if it's explained to you what the process is, I'm going to inventory all my resentments, all my fears, all my relationship kerfuffles. And I'm going to get them all written down. I'm going to find my part in it, and I'm going to share it with another human being that I desperately want to like me. And I got some shit to tell him that I'm not sure he's going to like me when we're done. And then I'm going to take a little time on my own after we've had that encounter and I'm going to sort out what I'm really honestly willing to do first and what I'm willing to do next and what I'm really not willing to do at all but I'm going to start praying for willingness and then I'm going to start going out and making approaches to those people I've harmed usually the family first, the wife, the family, the employers, the people that make up the fabric of our lives and I'm going to decide what I can cop to and what I can't and in the meantime I'm going to start going out and serving others. I'm going to start growing in conscious relation, trying to learn a little bit about prayer and meditation on the fly, right? And, and uh, in, in hopes that I'll get to be a fit servant in time and I'll be able to help people be delivered because of the redemption I've... Because that's all my delivery did was qualify me to help deliver other people. Right? I'm just an instrument. So... Um, so if I'm willing to do all of that, it says many of us exclaim, what an order, I can't go through with it. We're supposed to say, do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. The principles are contained in the steps, folks. They're not from another book 15 years later. It's all in here. It says, it says that we're not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. How will I know if I'm willing to grow along spiritual lines? And I will act in it. And I probably won't change noticeably for me, but I'll change noticeably for you. The beauty of this whole thing, faith without works is dead, is works are observable. So I don't have to do this alone. When you see the change, you'll ask what the change is, and then we're going to say this prayer together later, what we give credit to. There's nothing I can do today to stay sober. His power, his love, his way of life, and I've got to have credibility in that. Yes? Okay. So the principles we've set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. What's that look like? Well, I did some of it for you earlier. I'm a... I'm a very imperfect human being who serves a perfect creator. And I am, on most days, able to act and think more like him than me, but not every day. And oftentimes, when I'm thinking just like me, I'm enabled to act just like him, and you don't get to know what an ass I can be. <laughs> and then sometimes, I squeak out, and you'll find out. I'm just like you. Some of you, some of you, some of the rest of you have squeaked out before, huh? Yeah. So our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. 
So they've taken us through those chapters, right? The, the, the alcoholic, we had Bill's story, there is a solution, more about alcoholism, and then we had our encounter in this We Agnostics chapter, and now we're, we're getting ready to enact this decision. Yes? Okay. A, that we were alcoholic, and could not manage our own lives. How many of you have been through your first and second step and realized that you copped to unmanageability in one and you didn't even know what the unmanageability was till someone showed you in two that alcohol wasn't my unmanageability, heroin wasn't my unmanageability, my unmanageability was my inability to control my emotional nature, prey to misery and depression. I had a war going on within me, and I assigned the meaning of it to the world. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Keep, keep coming back. <laughs> Notice how they split those two. They did it on purpose, because we cop in one, but that activated that little bit of faith in us, and then we learned a little more about our human condition. Yes? B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. So examine yourself. Have you tried your very best to behave better at times and then let yourself down? One time. One time. <laughs> Have you had people pleading with you to do better and even say to you, if you loved me, you'd do better, and you loved them, and you were unable to do better? So... They didn't say no human power, they said probably no human power. Are you done trying through human aid and are you willing to consider this power you've encountered can straighten that out for you? Okay, then you're at sea. That God could and would if he were sought. Did you see the promise and the condition? They've already told me where I'm gonna go seeking and how I'm gonna seek. Is it all making sense? Bill wrote this book because he, as an atheist, found it was more logical to believe than not to believe based on his experience. And he thought that that experience would be helpful to people later that had difficulty believing because they were looking in the wrong place and they were watching people instead of whatever. And so he lays this case out with promises and conditions throughout based on the experience we're having so we can move consciously into relationship. Does that make sense? Okay, so then it says being convinced we were at step three. So being convinced of what? Well, that's later, but A, B, and C, to Sean's point, right? So that's why you want to go inward and ask yourself. Don't go forward when you're still living backward. You cannot move into a conscious relationship without consciously examining that path forward with your logical senses. Did I feel this experience? Am I a bit restless, irritable, and discontented? Am I willing to bet my life, given that I've already lost it to addiction and other things, am I willing to bet my life that this power that's worked for millions might work for me? Okay, so then it says, which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood it. Go be careful. Guys, read the book. They didn't say God as we understand him. They said God as we understood him, and they've gone to great detail to tell you how they understood him. Bill, the famous atheist, had this profound experience, clean wind of a mountaintop blowing through and through. The real significance of that time in the graveyard burst upon him. He's talking about a visitation of the Spirit that completely reorganized the way he thought. Does that make sense? Okay. And then it says, just, just what do we mean by that and what do we do? So what do we mean, what do we do? Probably going to have to read on because they're the we. It's very good. The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. So are you convinced? Based on what? Based on your experience. Now read the sentence again. Any lie. So it's not enough to be based on just my experience. I've got to be convinced that I am not 
affected by the way I hear you speak or see you act. Any lie. Does that make sense? Which is definitely going to require a power greater than me, because I've interacted with some of y'all. I'm pretty sure you got under my skin. Brian tells me it's his job description. And I wouldn't know because he wrote it. So. The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, we're almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. Have you ever had that experience? Had really good motives? Checked them twice? Someone didn't appreciate your motives? So they're going to tell us a little something. Most people try to live by self-propulsion. Notice how they said people. I'm not talking about my alcoholic condition. I'm not talking about my addiction condition. I'm talking about my human condition. Each person is like the actor who wants to run the whole show, is forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way. If his arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as he wished, the show would be great. Everybody, including himself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. In trying to make these arrangements, our actor may sometimes be quite virtuous. He may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest, and self-sacrificing. Anyone besides Sean find yourself there? I should see a lot more hands, because there's a little bit of good in all of us, there's a little bit of bad in all of us. So I, wanna, I want you to acknowledge that you're often kind and self-sacrificing, and sometimes it's misinterpreted, yes? Okay. On the other hand, he may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. How many of you see yourself there? How many of you see yourself there more easily than the other? Ah, so we need to get some balance, don't we? Right? Maybe you're telling a story that's not serving you now. See why you want to learn the facts about yourself? So you could represent yourself, get those intentions aligned with your actions? Okay, but as with most humans, he's more likely to have varied traits. Same discovery, right? So what usually happens? Some of you have read the book. What's it mean when we say the show doesn't come off very well? Yeah, and we may engage in behavior that gets us even worse consequences, huh? Yeah. So the show doesn't come off very well. He begins to think life doesn't treat him right. So any of you get into self-pity because things just didn't go well? He decides to exert himself more. He becomes on the next occasion still more demanding or gracious as the case may be. And still the play does not suit him. You ever had that happen? You concluded that, look, okay, I might have I acted out a little bit. So I'm going to dig in. I'm going to get this right. And then somewhere along the way, somebody triggered something in you, and you reverted to mean, egotistical, and dishonest. Admitting he may be somewhat at fault, he's sure that other people are more to blame. Any of you relate to that? He becomes angry, indignant, self-pitying. What is his basic trouble? Question mark. In this book, when they put a question mark, that's the time to go inward and ask yourself that question. Eyesight without insight, spiritual blindness. I've got to find out what's up in my thinking. Does that make sense? Is he not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? So I can see it clearly when someone else is doing it to me, but do you realize that my ability to see it in them means I got it? Yeah. If I can see how selfish, dishonest, and inconsiderate you are, it's probably because I'm being selfish. 
I'm judging you without knowing all the facts. Is he not a victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if only he manages well? Another question. So two questions. Have you been victimized by that delusion? Did you know it was a delusion? Do you know the nature of delusion? I lie to me and I don't know I'm lying. That's the nature of delusion. How many of you really meant what you said to somebody and then acted completely opposite? That's, that's what it is to live in delusion. It wasn't that I didn't mean it. I wasn't in my right mind. Okay. So is it not evident to all the rest of the players that these are the things he wants and do not his actions make each of them wish to retaliate, snatching all they can get out of the show? Have you ever gotten in a situation that should have involved cooperation and it turned into a real mess because all of you were trying to claim credit for the same thing that neither of you had any reason to claim credit for? Okay. Is he not even in his best moments a producer of confusion rather than harmony? So they're going to tell us who that actor is now in case we haven't recognized him. That's, our actor is self-centered, egocentric. Don't get that twisted. All humans are self-centered and egocentric. There's another book where a fellow opines, do not be conformed to this world. Rather be transformed through the renewal of your mind. Who felt that? So this human condition is going to require not only power within, but a focused mind on serving rather than being served so that I can walk into that transformation of the mind that I desperately need and millions of people have gotten before me. Does that make sense? All right, so he says he's like the retired businessman who lolls in the Florida sunshine in the winter complaining of the sad state of the nation, the minister who sighs over the sins of the 20th century, politicians and reformers who are sure all would be utopia if the rest of the world would only behave, the outlaw safecracker who thinks society has wronged him, and the alcoholic who has lost all and is locked up. Whatever our protestations, are not most of us concerned with ourselves, our resentments, or our self-pity? Over the years, I've seen people turn that whole passage into first person. And that's, it was written the way it was written on purpose so that we could see it outside of ourselves because that's how we see when we're in addictive disorder, when we're in human delusion. And we don't want to offend ourselves and stop so now they're asking me, at this point, whatever, whatever I think's going on, am I not really more concerned with how this affects me, who I'm mad at, and the condition in which I find myself? And if I am, wouldn't I like to know the part I play in that? Because I'm consciously moving into a third step decision where I'm going to get into an inventory that's going to show me precisely that. Does that make sense? So then they're going to tell you what they concluded. I want to be careful here. If you have not been through the step process, no one is suggesting you had any part in some of the abuses you suffered. All we are saying is all of us in the process have learned that if I'm still suffering for, from it and I survived it, at a minimum I'm suffering in unforgiveness. And I'm, then I'm not able to put that experience into practice because I don't get the healing I need till I use that experience of grace I had to help somebody else. Does that make sense? Okay, so selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past, we've made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. 
That's written in past tense. So it, later on in the process, you'll see what your part is. Your part may not be in the original hurt. Or you may be that someone did something you didn't deserve to have done to you, but you engaged with them in a self-serving reason. I mean, there's, there's different things to see, but you won't see that until you enact a decision and start looking at those things. Does that make sense? And that's why we do a fear inventory and a resentment inventory and then a relationship inventory because then we can see exactly what that's like for me. So I'm not praying about something in general, I'm talking about specifically. I have this character defect of not telling people the truth about who I am in order to get what I want. And then when I get them convinced that they ought to be with me, I find out, number one, I'm not that enamored with them, and number two, they don't even fucking know me. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently some of you have had that experience. All right. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. Guys, you're not going to know that until you go through and have the experience. If I'm still suffering from an injustice to me as a child, I had no part in the injustice. But if I'm still suffering from it, instead of lifting somebody up and saying, man, I went through that too, I know how it feels, let's walk it out. So they arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Now think about what they just said there. Most people try to live by self-propulsion. Now, I've discovered I'm a people with an alcoholic condition. So they're regular examples of self-will run riot. I'm an extreme example of self-will run riot, and I don't think so. That's the nature of delusion. Okay, so it says above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. How many of you have heard that and thought, yeah, I wish all them normies out there get a program like we got. I always think I wish all these sickies in here would get a program like AA's got. See, this book isn't how the world should behave. This book promises if I'll try these disciplines, it won't matter so much how the world behaves. Freedom from me, so I'm free to be me. That's... Okay, so we must... or kills us and God makes that possible. Let's try it again. Who makes it possible? Where's that power found? How do we find it? So a half measure would be to say the prayer and not embark on an inventory. I'm going to think about this inventory and go to meetings and tell everybody how I'm working on it. For weeks. And there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Now, a lot of people that have a funky idea of the power we're talking about think, well, I can get rid of self. I'll just straighten up and do it my own way. Any of you ever thought that? Not pick up no matter what? If I'm aware of self, then I'm not rid of self. How many of you have caught a selfie of yourself being selfless? So the minute I become aware of my own thoughts and what have you, there I am. Does it make sense? So it's logical that something has to change in me in order to be rid of that limiting me that has gotten in my way in the past, yes? Okay, so many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we would have liked to. Any of you done that? Moral and philosophical convictions? found out you understood what they were and you saw when others violate them but could not keep them. Okay, that's all they're talking about. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. Think about the power of that testimony. They just encountered this power. They're now telling you as they're going out and serving that even these atheists and agnostics are telling you, we had to have God's help. Any of you come in here? Who's, who's, who's a member here? How many of you guys remember what it felt like to come in here the first day? 
How many of you were a little frightened and a little unease, but somehow something was okay? How many of you have grown into everything's okay? I'm feeling you now. Who's feeling what I'm feeling right now? Don't ever think that this was built by anything other than divine will. There's a lot of us humans that hang around here because we love to watch God work, but we ain't, we ain't pretending we do it. Are we, Karen, Denise, Chap, Matt? Okay. So, it says, this is in the how, the how and the why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. What do they mean by playing God? I don't know what it looks like for everyone else. I would tell everyone what they needed to be doing and when they needed to be doing it. And I'd get them all arranged just perfectly so I knew that everything was going to be fine, but I was so busy out there telling them how imperfect they were when the lights came on and panned to me to play the role that was my life, the show could not come off because I was not there to play my part. Anyone got me? So then it said it didn't work, and I just explained to you why. Next, we decided that here and after in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. So what does a director do? A director directs, so I don't need to direct. I still like to from time to time. The world would like for me to. Any of you have been told... You need to get this all arranged. Get it all, get all your stuff in a row. So he's the principal. We're his agents. He's the father. We're his children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we passed to freedom. What concept? Yeah, whatever words don't offend. We always tell people here, Chap and I spend a lot of time, the only thing we do here is restore identity. We show you who you are and whose you are. We don't tell you, that's for you to proclaim. But we show you who you are and whose you are. And we do that by when you get here, regardless of how you got here, you came to us from prison with a difficult start and we say, welcome home. And the difference between us and other people is we mean it. So he's the father and we are his children. That's, that's the simple idea. And I promise you, if you'll walk it out, you will grow into it. And then it says, when we sincerely took such a position. That's why we can't mislead you. We've got to tell you where we're going. Because you can't sincerely take this position. Another book witnesses, we must worship in spirit and in truth. You cannot be deceived. The authors say, we learned we had to fully concede to our innermost selves. You can't do that based on a lie. So we got to take the time and contemplation to know who I am and what I need and hope to grow into my identity of who I am in him and whose I am. Does that make sense? So then it says, when we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. How many of you are students of that other book? Let me tell you what they just said. The authors in their eloquent way said, signs and wonders follow us. And if you don't believe that, walk around this place. Those of you joining us online, this is a re-entry center for men and women coming out of incarceration, many of them many years. It's staffed by a bunch of people with a similar lived history and a whole bunch of us hopeless alcoholic and addicts that came up from hopelessness, society had written us off. And without divine intervention, none of this was possible, but here we are. Yeah. Yeah. The 
cheering you here are the people coming to rejoin your communities as productive and caring people, and they're going to show you the redemptive power that they've encountered, and we're going to change the world. So it said he had a, we had a new employer being all-powerful. He provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. So what's his work? Serve, right? If you love me, feed my sheep. We got to serve. And in order to serve properly, I've got to question my judgments, and I've got to get armed with the facts about myself, and I've got to bear witness honestly, because the one thing all of us are really good at is sniffing out insincerity. Okay, so how do I keep close to them? That's why I'm going to learn the disciplines of prayer and meditation. I'm going to start walking consciously. I'm going to be aware of my awareness. I'm going to know there's a power in me that is not of me. When I encounter you, even when you don't know, I'll feel the signature of the Spirit on you, and I'll know that there's nothing wrong with you. We just need to wake you up to who you are. Because the goal of 12-step and recovery is to wake up. Yes? All right. So he's going to provide what we needed and keep close to him and perform his work well. And then it says, established on such a footing. What footing? Get close and work. Not work the steps. They never tell you to work the steps. Here are the steps we took. Work with others. There's a whole chapter on it. Which others? All others. Practice these principles in all our affairs. Yes? Okay? So it says, established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves. That's a pretty good promise, really, given that I've determined self was the problem. How many of you, when you became less interested in yourself, found you suffered less? Then it says, our little plans and designs. How many of you have determined that you're part of a bigger plan and you can almost laugh at how small some of your plans were? Okay. More and more we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. Is that starting to happen? I know all of you that are programming here, that's what's happened because that's what you had to convince your mentor to get here. Right? And then they're going to tell you a little promise. Some of you may have felt this tonight. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, we became conscious of his presence. What do they mean by conscious of his presence? Aware that I'm aware. There's something different happening in me, and I don't know what it is, but I know I want more. Are we at least there? And then they have a promise for us. We began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. We are reborn. So what has to happen in order to facilitate a rebirth? I'm going to have to die of self. And the process is going to lead me to taking captive that self that has gotten in my way so many times in the past and continually refocusing on what I can do for others. And in that process the healing I need that I don't even know will flow through me because I'm endeavoring to help somebody else. Does that make sense? How many of you have been doing this 12-step gig or even the church thing and have learned that little secret? It's more blessed to give than to receive because I can't give away anything I don't already have and if I need it and I'm offering it to you, it will come to me because I'm offering it to you. So it says we're now at step three. Didn't they say that like pages ago? (laughs) Many of us in recovery have recognized we have a bit of an attention deficit disorder. (laughs) So they walk us for a whole 30, 40 minutes, and then they walk us right back to where we started. But now, hopefully, we're making some conscious decision-making, right? Okay. So it said, many of us said to our maker as we understood him, Guys, it's in italics. Understand, they're talking about a power that they experienced. That's how they understood. And they don't stay with that. 
That's all these years later, it still says, as we understood, as we understood. The God I understood then is not the God I understand today because my experience has been much more enlarged. Does that make sense? Then it says, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with thee as, with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. So one thing I think we need to help people with, number one, there is no amen there. Once upon a time, some drunk put that on a card, put an amen at the end, said, here, do the third step prayer. I suppose there's no harm in it, but if you aren't conscious, God doesn't care about prayers you don't care about. So you need to know that you're talking to reality, tangible reality within you, and you need to be saying words that you would naturally say. So if you don't talk in King James language, please, by all means, write your own prayer. All I'm asking is for this power that I have found dwells within me, this power of purpose, this power of grace and dignity that I desperately want, this power can take away my limiting thinking patterns. And I'm asking humbly that he will. And I'm going to go through this process so that I can participate in that plan. Does that make sense? So, don't think I'm making it up. I'm going to read to you how the authors say. We thought well before taking this step, making sure we were ready that we could at last abandon ourselves utterly to him. We found it very desirable to take this spiritual step with an understanding person, such as our wife, best friend, or spiritual advisor, but it's better to meet God alone than with one who might misunderstand. Guys, if you don't understand what's going on here, all they're saying is we always want to do this with somebody else. We feel less weird, or maybe someone told us to, but the reality is I'm going to come to myself within myself. And if people don't understand the radical change I need from within, then they may dampen the effect they're about to promise. So they're not telling you you can't do it with somebody. They're just telling you, have your encounter. Because once you have, that new employer will see to it that you're never alone. Does that make sense? And then it says, the wording was, of course, quite optional. So you don't think Joe's making it up. The wording is always optional. And it's important for you to talk to this power the way you talk. Because guess what? There's no secrets in the realm of the spirit. The power already knows how you talk. You with me? So it says, the wording was, of course, quite optional so long as we express the idea. What's the idea? To relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Yes? Voicing it without reservation. How many of you just thinking about that already have some reservations? We're not asking God to take our ability to think. We're asking him to clear up my ability to think. My thinking was a bit flawed. This was only a beginning, though, if honestly and humbly made an effect, sometimes a very great one, was felt at once. If you've never done that for yourself, take a moment this evening, look yourself in the mirror, offer yourself to this power. There's sometimes a very great effect. I'll tell you one before we close. I worked with a guy who had been in recovery fellowships for 10 years. And I led him through the first three steps, and I left him on the third step decision, and I called his attention to the effect that would be felt at once. Ten years in recovery, never done the steps. I said, call me later in the day. Tell me what you've decided to do. So he went home, he wrote a prayer. He said the prayer. He called me. He said, I said that prayer, and I didn't feel nothing. But my inventory's done, and I'd like to discuss it with you tomorrow. I said, oh, 10 years in recovery, and you've never done anything, and all of a sudden you have an inventory to discuss. Some people would call that an effect. 
Thank you very much. See you next week.